and the wicked, even mine enemies, came upon me to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and they fell. Prior to that, verse number one ended um, with a declaration, okay, that the Lord is or was the strength of David. David is the author that God has handpicked, chosen to uh, pen these words. And at this state and in this stage, David is thanking God. He said, the Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. And we learned a lot about that. And as long as God is light and is salvation, there, there, there really will be no one to fear. Amen. And God is going to, and God, the word teaches us that God doesn't change. So there isn't going to be a situation. There isn't going to be a um, scenario uh, or anything like that. There isn't going to be, um, um, there isn't going to be um, some sort of scenario where, uh, where, where God ceases to be light and salvation. No, brothers and sisters, he's going to continue to be light and he's going to continue to be salvation because God is immutable. That means that God does not change. Amen. Nevertheless, when David moves on in our text, he says, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me. And over the last couple of weeks, we talked about what was meant by the enemies and the wicked and the foes. And so those of you who are listening, if you didn't have a chance to get that, those recordings are already there. So make sure you download those. In fact, they're in the chat. So you can get the link in the chat box for that. So, because we won't be going over that um, explicitly, but we ended with those foes and the foes we learned were um, those that are hostile, okay, um, to us, okay. So, the, in, the, in the sense of, the, of, of foes here is in the sense of an enemy. In fact, when you break it down, it actually breaks down the word foes into uh, an enemy, okay. And, but not just any enemy. We learned that it's, it has much to do with a personal enemy, okay? So this is someone who has literally directed their attention and their focus towards you. It is a person who is dangerous because of their treachery, okay? So this person is not somebody that means you well. This is not somebody who's, who's, who's secretly out to help you. No, this is a person who has made uh, has a vendetta against you. This is a person who is specifically after you. Now, the Bible says that when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, next phrase, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And as we move forward in here, let's dig in. Let's dig into that. The, David says, when they came upon me, okay, to eat up my flesh. Now, the sense of coming upon, all right, is really in the sense of moving near or moving towards, all right? So it's not that, um, it, it is not that, um, it, it isn't, it, 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 it doesn't mean that a person actually got up on you, okay? It doesn't mean that they were able to accomplish a goal. It doesn't mean they were able to uh, bring to pass whatever it was that they intended um, to do to you. So if they intended to do some harm to you, okay, then what this sense of the word means or would mean is, is that they got close to you. They got in your vicinity, all right? They weren't able to get all the way on you, but they got up close 
to you, all right? So trouble getting close to you, that's what you kind of want to have in, um, in perspective. It doesn't mean that it overtook you. And that is a strong and a specific um, difference that we got to keep in mind. He says, when they came upon me. And if you read that in the natural without understanding what it's saying, you there are people who would think that that means that the, the enemy got up on them. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that they got close to you. So what David was saying was the enemy got close to me. When the enemy started to get near, when the enemy started to close in, everything he's getting ready to talk about here is what is in response to or what happened after the enemy started to get close. Amen. Okay. And, 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 and there are going to be times, brothers and sisters, that, that the enemy is going to start to move in. There are going to be days where problems are going to start to encroach, going to start to infringe on your territory, not, all, not getting all the way there, but you're going to be able to see some things coming afar off. In fact, this is why one of the gifts that God gives us, one of those abilities is the spirit of discernment. And discernment allows you, we talked about this in an earlier lesson, but it allows you to perceive the external, amen, intent or motivation of someone, right? That's what that, it's different than conscience. Conscience allows you to monitor, be aware of your own motive, your own intent. But when you start talking about discernment, that's external. Conscience is internal, but, 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 um, 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 while conscience is internal, okay, being able, the discernment is external and discernment allows you to see what's coming afar off, amen. And when discernment is operating, when that gift is operating the way that it should or as it's supposed to, then what it will allow you to do is, is it will allow you the ability to see the enemy as he begins to come in. I'm going to tell you what, there are a lot of brothers and sisters that get overtaken by the enemy, by problems and everything else, simply because the spirit of discernment is not in operation in their life. I'm going to say that again. It is because of a lack of discernment or the spirit of discernment or the gift of discernment being present and accounted for in the lives of believers, that it alone is oftentimes the sole reason why we get taken unawares or why brothers and sisters look up and be like, I, I just can't believe how could this have happened? Brothers and sisters, God gives you, the Bible tells us that for the person whose mind is stayed on the Lord, that God will keep that man, that woman, that person in perfect peace. Amen. When our minds are on the Lord, he will keep you in perfect peace, meaning that he will keep you from your center from being disturbed, your platform, your, your, your base. He'll keep you in perfect peace regardless of what is going on. When the spirit of discernment is not in operation, when it is gone, when it is just not even in the vicinity, brothers and sisters, you have just created, I have just created a scenario or a situation where the enemy can come in through my back door, through my front front door. It don't matter what door he coming in because you're, because the sermon is not in operation. It really don't matter whether he want to come in through a window or come in through the door. You and I are not paying attention. And that is what discernment does. It allows us to pay attention in the spirit to see what the enemy is doing. You are able to see 
you are able to see the spirit behind the natural actions of people. So that's very important. You want to make sure that you have the spirit of discernment. And you're not going to have that if you are not in tune with the word. If you ain't in that word, if you are not praying, if you are letting those things go, amen. Listen, we have been in this state of, of, of lockdown and so on and so forth and quarantine. And it don't look like that part is going to get better anytime soon. We're still dealing with that. And, and in some cases, numbers are rising uh, or falling, depending on who you talk to and, 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 where, and where they may be. But it, that's no excuse for us to go cold on Jesus. That's no excuse for us to walk away and begin to abandon. It does not matter whether we have been able to congregate in the house of God in the natural. Brothers and sisters, the house of God ain't never been a thing that's in the natural. It's never been a building. It has never been brick and mortar. It has never been four walls. That is not the house of God. The house of God is made up of lively stones. Brothers and sisters, it is made up of it is made up of what of, of those baptized, born again believers in Christ Jesus, those who have been blood washed, those who have been filled with the Holy Ghost. That is the church. So we don't really have an excuse to go cold on Jesus and and to um, go derelict of duty and all those things. We don't get to go AWOL on God because we can't come to the house of God and we don't get to bemoan and wail, oh, how we haven't been at church or what. You got no excuse and I have no church. I'm telling you right now, you got no excuse to not have any church. If you ain't, ha if you're not having any church in your home, it is because you are not leading the charge. It's because you are the choir and you're not singing. It's because you are the preacher and you're not preaching. It's all, all of that. You have to worship God for yourself. You've got to praise God for yourself. You've got to lead your households for yourselves in the pattern. The word of God was always meant for us to pick it up and do it. So we want to make sure that we are doing that and that we are and that we are not waiting for the church or for, for a service to be streamed. Uh-uh. Church don't start when the service starts streaming. No. Church starts right where you are, right when you are. At that moment, at that time, as soon as you direct your attention towards God, it's time to have church. And brothers and sisters, we've got to operate with that mentality that I'm going to have church everywhere we go. See, because now God has put us in a, has allowed us to be in a position where now you got to live this. See, before it was easier. We could come to the house of God and we could, and, and, and we could say that, oh, that's my service that I've been at, I've been to church and I've done this and so on. But now God's put you in a place where you got to use it. And see, and this, it was always coming down to this. The circumstances, we don't, we could have plug and play. It could be anything. It happened to be COVID. It happened to be this. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we don't know. But the days where we would have to start living this, that was always on its way. Always on its way. And many people are having a problem right now because they work, because it's only just now that they're making a decision as to whether or not they are going to live this. Brothers and sisters, you should have decided this a long time ago. You should have decided that, but, but amen, there's no time like the present. You may not have decided that you're going to worship God and you're going to go 1000% for God, but now there's no time like the present to make that decision, make that choice that now I am going to stay on the Lord's side. So when that call goes out, who is on the Lord's side? I'm expecting every blood washed, water baptized believer in Christ Jesus to cross right over that line and stand with the Lord Jesus. Because guess what? He stood for you and me all the, all the way to the cross. He kept right on standing. He kept right on standing for your salvation. 
He was, Bible says, he was obedient to the death of the cross. He went all the way there. Amen. Now, Psalms 27, 2, when the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. So we know that come upon me means when the enemy got near. Amen. All right. And, and an example of that, you can read Genesis 37, um, 16 and 17. That gives you an idea of the type of, uh, of, of um, definition of come upon me, what that means. You see another um, example of it there. You also see it in Exodus 3 and 5. That's another example where we can see the meaning of that word come upon me, um, come, you know, come upon me. Um, in fact, Exodus 3 and 5 says, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place thou standest is holy ground. That's God talking to Moses, and Moses is before the burning bush. The Bible says he turned out of the way to see this burning bush, and God was looking to see if that's what Moses would do, and Moses did do just that. He turned out of the way, and he went to see this burning bush, but as he approached the bush, the Lord gives him a warning. He says, draw not nigh hither. So in other words, before Moses could get up on the bush, the Lord stops him right in his track. He said, oh, stop right there. Hold on. Hold your ground. Moses, I need you. Moses, I need you to cease and desist. Don't take any step forward. I want you to stay. You're getting too close. And that is the concept. Moses is getting close to the bush. He's not on the bush. God stops him specifically before he gets to the bush. And then he prepares him for what he's getting ready to do. Moses, this is holy ground. Moses, this is not the territory where you can operate the way you always been. Moses, you can't walk in here the way that you've walked before. Moses, you can't approach me the way that you've approached everything else. This is different, Moses. This is a different scenario. It is a different situation. It is a different circumstance. And what you have been done, what you've done before, that's not going to fly. You can't get close the way that you are. So that's the type of get of getting close that the, that the Bible is talking about. The Bible says, the word of God says also in that scripture, when my enemies and my foes came upon me, all right, to eat up my flesh. Now to eat up my flesh, we discovered is a really a word picture. And what that's meant, brothers and sisters, to do is to have you or to get a, a picture placed in your mind where you have a visual representation of what is being spoken here. And the visual representation that you want to have in your mind is that of an animal that has stalked its prey. And I mentioned this last week. And it has finally cornered it and it's pounced on it, right? And now it is devouring it, okay? That's the mindset or that's the word picture that you want to have in mind when you see the phrase, to eat up my flesh. Think of how an animal who has, who has captured another animal or, uh, or uh, 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 maybe a tiger or something, and now it's getting ready to devour, okay? First Peter 5 and 8 says this, be sober, be vigilant, okay? What is he telling you to do? He's telling you be aware, and he's telling you be ready for action. That's what he's telling you. Be sober, be vigilant, be, be aware, okay? Have your wits about you. Don't have, you, you can't afford to have your conscience numb and all of these things. He says, be sober, okay? Don't, don't, don't be, your, your system cannot be anesthetized, so to speak, by, 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 by the things of this world. You can't afford to be intoxicated by this world. So he says, be sober. 
Then he tells you to be vigilant. You got to be ready for action. You got to be ready for what's going on. You can't be ready if you're not aware. And that's why the word is phrase is the way it is in first Peter chapter five, verse eight, be sober and be vigilant because one is predicated on the other. One needs the other being vigilant. Amen. In this case requires you being sober or being aware. You've got to have full command of your faculties. You can't, in other words, that you, that what, 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 what Peter is saying here, the apostle is getting ready to tell you about this next, this next set of information that's getting ready to come in order for you to be ready to move, in order for you to be ready to operate, in order for you to be in a place where you can make fine adjustments on a moment's notice. You can't be blown by every wind of doctrine. And I'm going to stop right here for just a moment to dig off in this because we need to understand something. Some of us are not ready or are unable to move the way God wants us to move. We're unable to avoid danger and circumstances. Why? Because we're not sober. We are drunk on the things of this world. And I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that it don't take a much of this world to become intoxicated on the things of this world. See, it ain't like, listen, it don't take a whole length of time in order to build up a taste for this world. No, it doesn't take that much. Why? Because you're, you because the nature of your body, this flesh that we live in, is already fallen. It's already corrupted by sin. What are you saying, brother? Or I'm saying that your nature already has within it a desire to do the wrong thing. Glory to God. It already has the desire. It, the, the groundwork in order for you to do what we have no business doing. It, the, the, the foundation in order for us to undertake all manner of wickedness, that foundation has already been laid in your flesh. Your flesh is already ready to go. All you need do is indulge the flesh for just a little while. And that's why the Bible tells us to make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What that mean? That mean don't plan to fail. That mean don't plan to lose. Don't plan to give in to your temptation. Amen. And so he says, be sober, be of right mind, be in possession of your faculties. Have your wits about you and be vigilant. Be ready to move. When you're sober, you're able to perceive what's around you. And when you perceive what's around you, should that thing be danger, you're vigilant and you're ready for action. He goes on, he says, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, what does he do? Walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Consider what the word of God has just said about the devil. Listen, some of us think the devil is running after us. He ain't running after you. He is walking after you. That means he ain't in no hurry. Why? Because he already know he got an inside track. What's the inside track? Your flesh. Your, your, our flesh and the devil are always in agreement. That is why we've got to feed the spiritual man so that he becomes stronger and becomes dominant over the natural man. 
Why? Because when the devil comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in like a flood, suggesting all manner of wickedness and things that are contrary to God and his holiness, you listen, the last thing that you need is a flesh that is out of control, that is ready to do what the devil says do. You don't, that's the last thing that you need. You Listen, it's already hard enough as it is trying to walk right and live holy. Amen for the Holy Ghost, because it is the Holy Ghost that makes it possible. It is the Spirit of God that makes living holy possible. But that don't remove the struggle, even though the Holy Ghost makes it, makes it possible, makes us able to do it. That don't remove the fact that, guess what? We still have to, that there's still some struggle. One scripture tells us, contend earnestly for the faith. That means you're going to have to fight for this thing. God has saved you. At least I hope if you're listening, God has saved you. I know he saved me. And hopefully, you know, God has saved you. God has saved you, but you're still in this world and you're going to still deal with those struggles and those temptations. The last thing that you need is making it easy for you to fall into sin. You don't need that. Remember, we talked about earlier when David said, when the wicked, even my, even my enemies and my foes, if you recall what we talked about when we talked about the wicked, we learned that even the child of God, if he or she is not careful, can cross the line very easily from saint into sinner. You can go back. You can regress. You, it does not take a lot of effort for us to get off course and to get sideways and sidetracked. David says here, when the enemy, even when he says, even my enemies, my foes came upon me and that came to eat up my flesh, man. And the mindset that you want to have is that of that, of that, of a, of a predator devouring its prey. Now our adversaries in this world, they also desire to consume us just like an animal will consume its prey. And we talked about this, that the enemy wants to consume us mentally wants to overwhelm us with distraction. That's how he over that's how he consumes us mentally when we stay overwhelmingly distracted, when our focus is misplaced and we become lazy and unwilling to fulfill the duties and responsibilities. That happens when that that causes our that causes the enemy to begin to consume us mentally or that is the approach the enemy uses when he wants to consume us mentally. He wants us to become distracted. Are you distracted this morning? Have you been distracted this week? It's time to get your focus and your mind back on where it needs to be. He also wants to consume us physically by way of um, in encouraging us to undertake practices and habits that are not healthy. Doesn't matter what it is. From, from eating wrong to doing drugs, doesn't matter what it is. It really does not matter what it is. The enemy's desire the enemy's desire is, is that he would consume us, not just mentally, but physically. Get you in a place where you're physically unable to serve God. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that your temple is, you know what I'm saying, belongs to God, that you are, your bodies are the temple of God? And I hope everyone who's on this call, on this, in this, in this, in, in this uh, session today, you are in full understanding that your body is the temple of God. It belongs to God. And one thing that is easy for us to do, it's easy for us to undertake practices and all sorts of things that hurt and damage the body. Things from overeating, 
We don't like to talk about that, but guess what? Gluttony is a sin and it does not matter. We got to talk about all of it. We got to preach the entire counsel of God. And guess what? That even includes eating right. Some of us, we have to make changes. I, 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 and I, I know more better than, than, than many others. I'm in that process and on that journey myself, having to change, having to undo things that, I, that, I, that were done before. Brothers and sisters, that's not just for me. That's for all of us. It doesn't matter. That's just eating. Then it, it, then it flows into um, substances. Are you drinking yourself? Are you, are you using drugs? Are you using all these sorts of things? What are you doing? These things that damage the body. You must, you, listen, you can't just be a steward over your finance and you can't just be a steward over spiritual things. You gotta be steward over physical things as well. We have to be good stewards over the physical as well. So that's something that we have to be, we gotta be mindful of and we have to be vigilant on. So the enemy wants to consume us mentally and physically, and he wants to consume us spiritually as well. Amen. He wants us to become numb to the reality of God's presence and become absent-minded when it comes to the danger of hell. In other words, he wants hell to be out of sight, out of mind. Don't, you don't, don't entertain that. You, know, you, don't need, you, don't need, you don't need to you don't need to think about that. Brothers and sisters, you absolutely, absolutely do need to think about that. Because hell is a very real place. And if we don't do this thing according to the way the Bible tells us to do, hell is exactly where we are going. Listen, you ain't going to stop at gold to collect $200 like a Monopoly game. That ain't none of that's going to happen. You're going to go, listen, if you are not washed in the blood, if you, are not, if you do not have your salvation according to the way the Bible says it, and if you don't know what that is, please, sir, please, ma'am, open up the book of Acts, turn to chapter two. You can start at verse 36, even 35 if you want to, and read on all the way through. Listen, you have got to repent of your sins, and you have got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you have got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. There is no substitution for that, and anybody who does not have that, I understand you might be a good person. You're still not going. You might have a great big heart, but if you want to have that, you are not going. Oh, yes, I get that. You, you donate all of your goods, and you have done all of these things. God's going to say, you didn't do that for me. He's going to say, you didn't do that for my name. He's going to say, you didn't do that for my glory. Listen, good is not good enough. Good is only good enough when God is involved. You need God involved in your good because your good devoid of God is for your own glory. And you got to understand, all flesh is as grass before God. And it's going to wither. That is what the Bible says. You've got to be saved and filled with the Holy Ghost if you want to make it when that trumpet call, because it's, it's going to sound. We, those days, brothers and sisters, are approaching faster than ever before. Listen, don't be caught with your work undone. Please don't. Please don't. God is giving you time. He is giving me time. That call is going out. What call? The call for the house of God, the troops of God to rally behind the standard of God. That means the flag and the banner of God. That call has been going out. Are you ready? Are you ready? If the Lord was to come right now, are you ready? Are you ready to meet God if that trumpet was to sound? Are you ready? 
Or do you feel like, wait, there's a few more things I need to repent of. There's a few more things I need. Brother and sister, you better get that done now. You better do it now. Do it while you have breath. Bible says harden not your heart as your fathers did in the day of provocation. Don't harden your heart. You need a heart that's pliable, that's hearing the word of God, that's responding to the word of God. After all, God did respond to our need for salvation, even when we didn't have enough sense to ask for. Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Amen. He says here in Psalms uh, 27, he says they stumbled and they failed. To stumble and, fa and fall is a very interesting phrase here. Because when we talk about stumbling, all right, it, it, in, in essence, when you break the word down, it means to stumble or to, to stagger. It means to kind of totter. So imagine a person who, who you know, who can't quite keep their, their balance, you know. Um, but it also means to be thrown down as well. So there's a lot of implications in here. So on one hand, on one sense, it means to, it means to kind of, to kind of stagger and totter. So you're, 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 you're waving, you're weaving back and forth. You're not quite in control of your, um, uh, of, of your, of your faculties, so to speak. And it could be from many things. It could be from being intoxicated by this world. You're staggering, you're drunk off of that, but it could also be because you were unprepared and you got blindsided because it also means to be thrown down, to be thrown down that phrasing there to be thrown down. When we look at this phrase to stumble, okay here to be thrown uh to be thrown down it, or to stumble it also means to be weak and so when you when you add into this this concept or this sense of to be thrown down that means that something externally grabbed hold of you and began to forcefully push you or direct your uh momentum towards the ground so it's not so it, it, it so it's it's being uh, it's it's being unbalanced to the point that when external influences come in and threaten to throw you off balance you are too weak to stand your ground i hope that makes sense because that's what he's meaning here when he talks about to you know you know what i'm saying they stumble and fail okay he's talking about the enemy and this is a very good thing because this can happen. You can stumble in the sense of your own self, but in the context of our scripture, all right, in verse number two, he's talking about the enemy. He's talking about what happened when they came to consume and to consume also means to absorb. It, it means to take everything that is, uh, um, it is necessary. So when you think of consumption or consuming someone, backing up just a moment here, when the enemy tries to consume you, that me it doesn't it, it, it think of a think of a fire that burns a log. That fire actually consumes everything about that wood or anything until it becomes charcoal or ash or whatever it is. It consumes everything. Okay, and the enemy wants to consume your ability to take care of yourself, your ability to think, your ability to thrive, your ability to prosper, your ability to move, your ability to live, all of these different things. The enemy wants to consume what is your resources. He wants to consume what you have. He wants to consume your sanity. He wants to absorb 
all of those different things. But the Bible says that when the enemy wanted to do that, and remember, he's, the scripture before said, when the enemy came upon me, which does not mean that the enemy overtook me, it means that when the enemy got close to me, when the enemy decided they wanted to consume me and they were on their way to do just that before the enemy got there, before he was able to do what he wanted to do, before the enemy was able to wreak havoc to the way that he wants to do it in your life, David was saying, God stepped in. That's what he was saying. Before he could do it, before he could overtake me, before he could just totally obliterate everything. The Bible says they stumbled and they fell. And I said stumble and fall doesn't just mean to stump, to, to stagger or to kind of trot, to totter, but it means to be thrown down. So if you have that in mindset, the picture that David is painting in Psalms 27 verse, verse number two in that B portion gets all the more miraculous or all the more in depth because he's telling you and me that when the enemy decided that he wanted to make waste and lay waste to me, so he got on in his car, he got on his bike and was on his way to tear things up in my life, God stepped in and God threw him down. Why? Because he was staggering and he began to totter. Now, the word, now this, this, well, let's take it a little bit further because this illustrates the basic idea when we talk about staggering and tottering. It illustrates the basic idea that a person or one stumbles, watch this, because of or over something. So it, in the context of our scripture, it's not being, it's not that the enemy staggered okay, for no reason, or simply because God came in and threw him off bound. No, 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 no. But what the Bible is actually telling you is that the staggering and the tottering was a result of something or over something. So when it's usually a physical burden or something that causes someone to, 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 stagger, to stagger or to stumble. So what, the da what David is trying to get you to see is, is that the enemy staggered, began to totter because he started to trip over his own wickedness. And that's what the Bible is actually trying to paint the picture of. He stumbled not just because God came in and threw him off balance, no. But he stumbled because of the wickedness, because of the literal traps that the enemy tried to lay. What David is simply trying to tell you is, is that the enemy, the devil, gets tripped up. The wicked get tripped up on their own devices. They stumble over the things that they want to use for against you. The, 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 the wicked devices that the enemy comes up with and wants to perpetrate. Those things are like carrying a physical burden. So much so that you are carrying so much that it becomes top heavy. If you ever know, if you've ever seen something, um, if you've ever seen um, a, a person um, um, 
um, trying to carry a lot of things. Have you ever seen this person carry maybe a lot of boxes and a lot of different things, and they're all of different shapes and sizes, irregular shapes and sizes, and different um, and different weights, and so on and so forth. But if you ever if you ever seen somebody um, um, trying to, you know, they need to move this stuff from one place to another, but they don't want to do it in load. They want to do it as a few loads as possible. So what they do is, is that they load themselves up, stacking up higher beyond, you know, uh, well beyond safe levels. So before you know it, they've got all of these things going on and um, they've got all, they, 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 they're, they're carrying way, um, they're carrying way more, um, you know, they're carrying way more things than they actually probably should be carrying. And, and, and someone is there stacking and just giving more and more stuff. And then all of a sudden they start to try to walk with it, right? And it becomes a little top heavy. Maybe some of you have experienced this with a wheelbarrow. Maybe you've, you've used a wheelbarrow and you've had to load it up with a lot of different things. Well, anybody who's used a wheelbarrow knows that there can be a little kind of a trick to using a wheelbarrow effectively. Because when you use that wheelbarrow, you're kind of balancing that load on um, that one wheel. And it kind of becomes up to you who's holding the handles of the wheelbarrow to stabilize that thing. Well, you know that if a person starts adding a whole bunch of stuff to that wheelbarrow and loading it well beyond capacity, right? And if that person who's rolled, who is who is controlling or driving that barrel, if that person is not is not matching, is not balancing it correctly, the weight of what's in the barrel part or in the container part, if it becomes too much, it can become top heavy on one side or the other. And so you'll start, start to steer that barrel, right? But before you know it, that barrel will start to kind of lean to the left or lean to the right because it's become top heavy. Well, that is the same concept of what the Bible, of what David is talking about here, what God is talking about through David when it comes to the devices of the enemy. The enemy begins to, to stagger and he begins to stumble, not so much because God throws him off balance, but because wickedness has a weight, brothers and sisters. And when you and when you load up on unrighteousness, when you load up on wickedness, okay, it's like trying to drive a wheelbarrow that has become so top heavy that the load is unbalanced and you can't keep it straight. And so the next thing you know, it's about to fall over and it's about to tip over. Well, that's the same thing that the Bible wants you to know. The enemy will begin to collapse and to buckle under the weight of his or her own foolishness. That's why I don't pay. That is why it does not pay to operate in sin, okay? Because when you're talking about stumbling here, you're talking about it in the sense of walking unsteadily. And he says, when the wicked, even my enemies, my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh or to consume me, they were off balance. They were top heavy. They couldn't keep their plan straight. Their, 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 their plan to destroy me, to take me out, to make life harder, to put me in a bind. He's saying they got top heavy. And because they were top heavy and because they began to buckle under the weight of their own foolishness, what he's saying is, is that God stepped in and threw them down. God just simply pointed, just pushed them with a finger, and all of a sudden they were already off balance, and they buckled and they collapsed. That's what he's trying to tell you. That is what he is trying to tell you. The word fall is in the sense of, and I, and I love this, he says they stumbled and fell. 
and fail in this word, in this, in this text, in this concept, it, 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 it's, not, it's not a gradual fall, okay? It, when, when he says they stumble and fail, he's not saying they took their time and fall. You're not saying that it was, a, it was a long drawn out stumble and a long drawn out fall. That's not what he's saying. But the sense of the word fail in this scripture here means to lose an upright position suddenly. That means that you was on your way and all of a sudden quickly you were brought down. I want to remind somebody and I want to encourage somebody today that listen, you keep living right. You keep following the word of God. You keep pushing forward. I know it gets hard and I know it's difficult. And I know that there are a lot of answers that you have yet to get or to receive. But I want to tell you something. God knows how to deliver those who are his. And God, the word tells us that God loves those who love him. I want to encourage you today to keep right on loving God in the midst of not having your answer yet in the midst of not having things work the way that you want. And in the, in the middle of disappointment, I know that I'm asking a lot of you, but I am telling you God is so worth the effort because guess what? He went to the cross for you and he paid for crimes that were not his own. And he did that, why? To save you. When did he do it? When you weren't even asking about it. God has remained, I'm simply telling you this, God has remained faithful to you even when you didn't ask for it. And even when your and my actions said that, God, you know what? You got every right to throw me away. God stood in it. I want to encourage you to persevere and keep going on. Yes, the enemy is, is around you and he's, and he's on his way. But I want to tell you something. As long as you stay in that word and you stay with God, it's always going to be that the enemy is just on his way. It's going to, clunk, it's going to get close, but God going to make sure it don't get on you. Because you got to understand the devices, you know, the Bible says this in the book of Psalms in the 34th number of the Psalm, the Bible said evil shall slay the wicked. You got to understand, you know what I'm saying? And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The enemy can perpetrate anything he wants to, but I'm going to tell you today that God knows how to deliver. It don't matter what the enemy comes up with. He can bring all his schemes and all his scams. It ain't going to work. And somebody needs to rise up and you need to start declaring that in Jesus name, the plans of the enemy, it is not going to work because the enemy might have meant it for your harm and for your detriment. But I'm trying to tell you, God meant it for your good. You are going to see the deliverance of God and you are going to see it suddenly. You are going to see it quickly. You are going to see it profoundly. I am telling you when David said the enemy stumbled and fell, he is saying the enemy was up one day and the next moment he was on the ground, collapsed under the pressure and under the weight of his own sin. God knows how to deliver you. Look at Psalms chapter 21, verse 11. The Bible says, for they intended evil against thee. They, they imagined a mischievous device, which they are not able to perform. I hope you heard that. I'm going to give you that one again. That is Psalms chapter 21, verse 11. For they intended evil against me. The enemy had a plan. This world had a plan, had a scheme that they wanted to enact and they wanted to perpetrate against me, against the household of God. They, they imagined a mischievous device. That means they came up with a plan. That don't mean that they were just trying to come up with stuff. That means they had already come up with something. They came up with a tactic that they were going to use 
against me, but the Bible says, which they are not able to perform. They dream big about bringing me down. They had lofty goals about tearing you down, but that's all it was. Why? Because the Lord stepped in and he is your deliverer. I told you Psalms 34 verse 31, that Bible says evil shall slay the wicked and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Look at Micah chapter two verses one through three. It says, whoa, to them that devise iniquity. That means that's to them people who coming up with lawlessness and unrighteousness and work evil upon their beds. That means they dreaming about this. They spending all their time, even they resting time. The enemy is coming up with schemes to try to mess up and destroy what God has done in your life. He says, when the morning is light, they practice it because it is in their it is in the power of their hands. In other words, they use in their mind what God has given them ability, that God has given them a mind. God has given them the ability to think and they choose to use it for this heinous purpose. Verse number two says this, and they covet fields and they take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, against this family do I devise an evil. Do you hear what I'm telling you? He said against a family. That means against all those folks that decided that they were going to, that they were going to be, uh, that they were going to, to, uh, to overthrow and that they were going to be a problem and that they were going to fight against you and that they were going to become a hindrance. Everyone that yoked up together, God is saying, guess what? Now, I got a problem. He says, I've devised an evil against it. And what that simply means is, is that, that he's devised a countermeasure for which they shall not remove their necks. Neither shall they go heartily for this, this time is evil. And what that means is they came up with all of this. The enemy came up with plans that were lofty and majestic, and they were all aimed at making things harder and destroying and bringing to naught the things in your life and messing up stuff. But God is saying, hold on, that is not going to work. God says, I got a plan. The enemy had a plan, but God says, well, hold up, I got a plan. He said, I have a plan. I hope you heard it. That is Micah chapter two, verses one through three. He started out in verse one through two, one and two, telling you what the enemy's plan was. But then when you get to verse three, he says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, against this family, do I devise an evil. See, in verse number one, he said, woe to them that devise iniquity. So he said, the enemy got a plan. He said, woe to them who plan to do the wrong thing. Why? God said, for them who plan to do the wrong thing, I got to plan myself. And I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, that if you are on the Lord's side, God has a plan to deliver you. Make no mistake about that. God has a plan to deliver you and deliver you he shall. He is, listen, his name will be exalted in all the earth. God will make quick work of the enemy. God will absolutely do what only he can do. And I hope you understand today and realize today that if God is for you, there really is nobody that can stand against you. Amen. So he says they stumble and they fail. Now, verse three says this, though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, 
In this will I be confident. Now, what is a host? A host is, in this particular sense, a host is a camp, okay? And what it is, is it's a civilian camp. So, I, so and, and I want you to understand, we keep this in mind because this is a very important as we break this down. I want you to keep that. He says, though a host, okay? That's verse number three in that A part. He says, though an host, or even though, or in spite of a host. And a host is a civilian camp. And what it refers to, or the sense of it is, is that of temporary living quarters where uh, a group of people live together, Okay. Focus, perhaps focusing on on their on the inhabitants or or whatnot, but it is it's a it's a it is a temporary setup, and I want you to keep that mind, keep that word in mind, that concept that it is a temporary uh, it is a temporary uh, civilian setup. Okay, it's a it and and the and 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 the biggest keyword is that it's temporary. Okay, and he says don't and he said and and he says a camp and 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 when we look at camp through the lens of scripture. There are some things for us to keep in mind, okay, about that, or there's some additional things for us to learn. This word camp or encampment um, also, or this word camp uh, is also means, it, 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 it is what is meant by the word host, okay? And it's, and it, it's a noun that's, that comes from a verb that's used about, eh, about, oh, about 214 times or so, some give or take, in the Bible. And it's and 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 it, and it's used mostly in the Pentateuch, and so the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. That is what is known of the the as known as the Pentateuch. Okay, for those of you who may not have known that, the first five books of the Bible are what is known as the Pentateuch. It's also found in the historical books. Okay, as well in the scriptures. So this will be your um, you know Chronicles and so on and so forth the first and second chronicles and getting into Samuel and all of those different things. So you start getting into these historical books and, and then the Pentateuch um, books or the first five books. And, and you, you see that word, that's where it occurs the most. But this is very interesting because this word here for host or whatnot doesn't normally appear that much in the poetical books. So when we start talking about poetical books, you start talking about, um, you start, you're, you're, you're getting into your Psalms and the Song of Solomon and things of that nature, okay? So those are more of your poetical books, so to speak. And so the word, this word for camp or this, this type of host or this word host um, with this particular meaning, okay, that of this civilian camp or this temporary, this temporary civilian camp, so to speak, or whatnot. It, it's not used that much when you start getting into songs, but this is one of those rare cases um, where it is actually used, okay? The word um, camp, okay, um, when it's used, or this word host, typically when it's used, it represents, or what it means um, um, is, is that it refers to those individuals or those travelers in those days because they were also and often referred to as campers. So back in these biblical days, those who were traveling um, um, could have been even having more of a nomadic life. It doesn't really matter. But those who were travelers or traveled a lot during those days in those times were referred to as campers, okay, or a group. To give you an example of that, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 5, um, verse 15, and in here you're dealing with the story of, uh, of Naaman, 
Amen. Um, and, and, and his encounter with the prophet Elisha. And the Bible says, and when he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. That is a different translation or English translation, but, but uh, or, or a different English word that that word host is translated. It's translated as a company here, but that's the type of people, the group that Naaman was traveling with. Okay, that is what was meant. They were campers, so to speak. So when it says he and all his company, right, that is the equivalent of that word host or campers. And it was that concept that came before him and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So Naaman comes to him, okay, to Elisha and his group, they are temporary. They're not there to stay. They are in transit. They are campers, so to speak. Another um, type of traveler were tradesmen. So those who, and, and who traveled from here to there or soldiers spent much time on the road. They, those were individuals that traveled a lot, okay? And they would do what? They would set up camp, all right? Jacob encamped by the Jabbok. Okay, and you read about this in Genesis 32, uh, 32 and 10. And he was camp, camp, he was a camper there. Okay, and he camped there. And and uh, and and in fact, um, Genesis 32 and verse uh, number two, the Bible, um, the Bible says, and when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of um of the place Mahanim, all right. Um, which means basically camps, okay? Or the name Mahanim means camps in the Bible. That's what that word actually means. And it owes its origin to it owes its origin to Jacob's experience because it was at this place where he encountered Jacob encountered the angel. And so he called that place Mahanim in order to signify that it was God's camp. So not just any camp, but it was God's camp. And he spent the, and he ended up spending the night there in that camp. Amen. That's Genesis uh, 32 uh, and 21. That's the place where, and many of you will are familiar with that or should be familiar with that because that's where Jacob wrestled with the angel. He called that place Mahanam. Why? Because the presence of God, when he wrestled with that angel there, he said, hold on, this is where God is. This is the camp of God. The other thing is when you look at this word camp, right? It's also used uh, also um, it's in, in, in reference to soldiers because soldiers established camps. They established camps by the cities they conquered, okay? Amen. And, and, and that's a good thing to keep in mind because first it signifies, uh, um, because not only does it, not only did they, did they, did, uh, not only does it refer to those camps um, that the soldiers set up, but if you take that into the larger sense, dealing with this word camp, and we build it on this, um, it signifies a nation set against another nation. So in other words, soldiers represent the interests of a different nation. So when enemy soldiers would come in and set up temporary camp, the soldiers also represented that nation that they came from. So a nation against that is up that is coming against another nation is also referred to as a camp. Amen. And you can kind of see a good example of that in Exodus chapter 14, verse 20. And it came and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Amen. 
and it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light by night to, the, to these so that the one came not near the other all the night. So this talking about the Israelites in the Exodus and they're getting ready to, to, to cross the Red Sea. They're preparing for that. But, but, but Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians are hot on the heels. And he refers to these two nations. You've got the Israelites and you've got the Egyptians and he calls them the camp of God. And so they are referred to, or this nation, this, of these nations pitted against each other are referred to as two camps. Amen. And next week, we will continue further with this. We're going to go dig even further into this concept of camps because this is very, very fascinating. And when we break this down, and this week, I want you to keep in mind that that camp, remember, we're talking about a civilian camp when we talk about that word host, and it's talking about a, a, a temporary setup. Okay, and I want you to keep that because next week we're going to build on that when we explore further into this concept of uh, these uh, of these camps. Okay, we're going to really just really kind of dig into that, see what God has to say about that. Wow.